Okay, so when we look at electrochemistry, there are basically two types of reactions that we're looking at. And both of these reactions involve electro and chemistry, which basically means the transfer of electrons and then chemistry. So we have some chemicals or rather um, elements involved in the reactions, elements, compounds and such. So yeah, like I said, there are two types of reactions that we're going to be you know, taking into consideration. The first one is a spontaneous reaction, and the other would be a non-spontaneous reaction. Now, a non-spontaneous reaction is one that doesn't happen on its own. It needs to have some sort of push for it to happen. And when you look at a spontaneous reaction, um, here we see things moving around by themselves. The reaction just takes place like that. You don't got to do anything. Now, how are these guys related to electrochemistry? Now, electrochemistry deals with, like I said, electrons and our dear chemicals. So now, when you look at spontaneous reactions, if we have to think in terms of electrons, then we're looking at the reactions wherein the electrons move from, say, one species, it could be an atom or an ion, to another. And if you look at a non-spontaneous reaction, maybe in this case we're looking at two different um, compounds that don't want to give electrons or take electrons, so you have to push it. So before I dive deeper into the spontaneous type of reaction, let's talk about what happens with a non-spontaneous reaction. So now for a non-spontaneous reaction, um, let's consider the electrolysis of H2O. Now, when you look at a non-spontaneous reaction, you're basically looking at electrolysis. You are supplying electrons to some compound, and because of this, the compound just sort of breaks apart, right? Because somebody accepted electrons, someone gave away electrons. So when you look at um, the electrolysis, of water, what's happening is you are connecting um, two little, I don't know, maybe let's call them electrodes into two different, um, I'm sorry, into the, in one container that has your little water. And now these two are connected to a battery. Now a battery has one positive side and one negative side. So the one that's connected to the positive side becomes the anode, the one that's connected to the negative side becomes the cathode. Now what happens is um, the negative side of the battery, so I'm sorry, let's not start with the negative side, let's start with the positive side of the battery, the one that has a bump. So what happens is this side starts to pull electrons and the other side, the one which would have had um, the negative side connected to it, that pushes the electrons. So, you know what, let's not talk about water because that's going to get a bit too deep. Let's just talk about, say, A and B, right? A is happy as it is. B is also happy as it is. But we want to move around electrons, so we plug them into batteries and into a battery, rather. A is connected to the positive side, B is connected to the negative side. Now the positive side pulls electrons, so A becomes, say, A+, plus because its electrons have been pulled away. Now, from the negative side, we see electrons being pushed into B. So B goes from being B to B-, minus because of those electrons that, it was, that was pushed into it. Now, with that little intro for non-spontaneous reactions being done, let's move on to the spontaneous reactions. 
Now, like I said, a spontaneous reaction is a reaction that happens all by itself. And in this case, we are considering, let's say again, C and D instead of A and B this time, so we don't get confused. Um, C and D, but this time what happens is C is ready to give its electrons to D. C has, say, too many electrons. It can't hold its electrons very well. And D needs electrons. It sort of pulls the electrons its way. So when these two are connected, then the electrons move from C to D automatically. You don't need to push it because D wants the electrons. It pulls them. There's, an, a, little, there's a little attractive force, whereas for C, What's happening is it doesn't really hold its electrons so well. So it's a very easy reaction. Now, where would we see this in um, real life? Well, let's just consider the example of a Daniel cell where we consider zinc and copper. Now, I'm going to be talking about a standard Daniel cell. What does a standard Daniel cell mean? It's basically a cell where on one side you have your zinc in a solution, your zinc is going to be the electrode. Remember the thing that we put inside the water so that um, the battery could, you know, get a current and electrons could flow around. So, yeah, in this case, we're going to be using zinc. Ouch. I just hit my toe. Um, we're going to be using zinc inside a, say, inside a solution, dipped in a solution, sorry, that is say one molar ZnSO4. And on the other side, we have our little copper electrode in a solution that is one mole of um, CuSO4 in one liter, basically one molar. That's the concentration. So that would be, those would be rather our standard electrodes for zinc and copper. So now what happens is if you look at zinc and copper, um, I'm going to be introducing a new term. This is going to be the electrode potential of a cell. And according to IUPAC, we take the electrode potential of a cell to be the reduction potential of the cell. Now, what does this reduction potential tell us? The reduction potential tells us how eager the said compound is towards pulling an electron towards itself how ready it is to be reduced. Remember, Leo goes GER. Loss of electrons is oxidation. GER, gain of electrons is reduction. So the ones with the greater electrode reduction potential are the ones who are more willing to pull electrons towards them, who are more willing to be reduced. On the other hand, if you have, say, two things. In this case, we have zinc and copper, right? Let's just use them. Um, the E-naught of zinc would be minus 0.36. The E-naught for copper would be plus 0.34. Now let's compare these two values as scalars. Now, in this case, the E-naught of copper is much, much more than that of zinc. So we can conclude that copper wants the electrons more. It's more ready to be reduced. So if copper is the one who's ready to pull the electrons, this would mean that zinc would be the one who doesn't hold the electrons very well. So if we were to, say, connect a wire across the two, the electrons, because copper is pulling, because it has a greater reduction potential, copper pulls the electrons and they move from zinc all the way over there. So what happens now? 
Before we go into the types, the reactions that are going on, let's introduce some more terminology. When we were looking at electrolysis, what was happening was you were connecting a battery to two electrodes. So if one side of the battery was positive, then the electrode connected to that would be positive. And if it was negative, the electrode connected to that would be negative, right? But in this case, we look at what's happening first, right? So in this case, because copper is pulling the electrons because it has a greater reduction potential, copper is being reduced. And um, there are two things that we can say, either an anode or a cathode. So this electrode, because this is where reduction happens, it is called a cathode. But when you look at zinc, what's happening is it's losing electrons. Here, there's oxidation going on. So in this case, that would be an anode. How do you remember this? Well, just think of how the consonants need to be together and the vowels need to be together. The anode is where oxidation happens, O and A, and the cathode is where reduction happens, C and R. That being said, let's go on to the reactions that are going on in the cell. Um, let's start with the standard um, way of putting it forth, right? When we look at any standard st cell, um, what happens is we make sure that the, elect the anode is to the left and the cathode is to the right. That means that all the oxidation happens on the left, all the reduction happens on the right. All the loss of electrons happens on the left, all the gain of electrons happens on the right. On the left, you have the ones with the lower reduction potential. On the right, you have the ones with the higher reduction potential. Notice how I'm saying the same thing over and over in different ways. Now I'll go on to the chemical way of saying it, where we talk about the various elements or the ions involved. Now, if you look at zinc, this is the anode. This is where oxidation is happening. Here, zinc is losing electrons in a process called oxidation, and this is happening spontaneously because copper is pulling the electrons towards itself, and the zinc doesn't have such a strong hold over its electrons. That was a quick recap as well. Anyway, so what happens at zinc is it loses the electrons, right? So it goes from zinc to zinc 2 plus plus two electrons, right? So notice how it goes from an oxidation state of zero when it was zinc to two plus. It goes from zero to two plus, so the oxidation state is increasing. This is another way to say that it's undergoing oxidation. Now these electrons move across the wire that we've connected the copper and zinc with all the way into copper. Now, from the copper, remember, copper is the cathode because it has a greater reduction potential. So this is where reduction happens. What's reduction? It's the gain of electrons. So here, copper would have been present as Cu2+, right? So it gets those two electrons and turns into Cu. So what is the cathode reaction? The cathode reaction is Cu2+, plus, plus two electrons gives you Cu. So our anode reaction would be Zn, gives us Zn2 plus plus two electrons, and the cathode reaction would be copper two plus plus two electrons, giving us Cu. So we put them together, and when we put them together, the two electrons cancel from both the sides. So we end up getting Zn plus Cu2 plus gives us Zn2 plus plus Cu. And here it goes from Cu2, um, the oxidation of 
oxidation state of copper goes from Z, Cu2 plus to Cu. So it's going from 2 to 0, so it's reducing. So the oxidation state reduces. This is also reduction. Now, what is another way of representing the cell? Of course, we can just draw the diagram and get it over with. But there is a much simpler way to express the whole thing in one teensy tiny line. And that would be called the cell representation. So basically, you have A bar A bar bar B bar B. Does that make sense? It's like A line A, and then two vertical lines again, and then B, and then another line, and then B. Now what's this A and B? Well, to the left of the two lines in the middle, you have whatever is getting oxidized. In this case, it was zinc as a solid to Zn2 plus in the aqueous state. And on the right of the double verticals, you have your Cu2 plus, and then a bar, and then a Cu. So this tells us that C, the copper, went from being copper 2 plus to copper. Now, why am I saying that these guys are in aqueous states? Have you ever wondered? Well, remember how I said in the beginning that these guys, these electrodes, were dipped in a solution, a one molar solution of one of their own electrolytes or ions? Zinc was dipped in zinc as a fourth. And copper was dipped in copper sulfate. So when they're dipped in water, because these guys are ionic salts, they split up into Zn2 plus and SO4 2 minus, CO2 plus, SO4 2 minus. Anyways, that's that. Now that we're done with that, how do we know who undergoes reduction and who undergoes oxidation? There's basically a huge table, right, of who is more, who has a greater reduction potential than who. And the one thing you need to remember is the greater the reduction potential, that means that that's the one that gets reduced. It pulls electrons, right? So... Say you got a question, can we store copper in copper, an aqueous solution of copper sulfate in, say, a jar, of, a jar made of zinc? What would your answer be? It would be no, because zinc doesn't hold its electrons very well, and copper likes to pull the electrons, so it just pulls everything towards it. And you see that whatever we're seeing now in the Daniel cell, we're seeing in that bowl with an aqueous copper sulfate solution. And yeah, this is how much I've understood so far. Maybe when I move further, I'll learn more. So now let's go a little bit further. I think I've understood this. So how do we understand the EMF of a cell, know what the EMF of a cell is? What is EMF? It's electromotive force. What does that mean? It's basically the potential difference between the two electrodes. I mean, we know that the electrons are moving from one side to another, but remember how in physics we learned that for electrons to move, there needs to be some sort of potential difference? It's like you have a water bottle. The water only moves from one side to another if you like tilt it and one is higher and one is lower, right? So the same way, we can only see the spontaneity when we basically have one at a higher potential, one at a lower potential, blah, 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 blah. So here, we're basically looking for the potential difference between the two electrodes when we say, when we're looking at, rather, the EMF of a cell. Now, what is the EMF of a cell? Let's call it E naught of the cell. 
E naught is equal to the E naught of the cathode minus the E naught of the anode. And the E naught of the cathode is basically the potential difference that we had between the cathode and the um, solution that it was suspended in, and the same thing goes for the anode. So now let's go further and talk about liquid junction potential. So before when we were talking about the standard Daniel cell and, you know, things being connected and thing electrons moving around, um, we were basically talking about copper and zinc in two different containers. Now what would happen if we put them in the same container and separated them by a little membrane that allowed ions to move through it? Now what would happen to the whole potential difference between the two electrodes? Now it becomes, the E naught of the cell becomes, um, again, same as before, E naught cathode minus E naught anode plus the potential developed at the liquid junction potential, which is basically that little membrane that we had. Um, it's not completely super duper thin. There's still a teensy little gap. And because of that little gap, if we have pluses on one side and minuses on the other, there's a tiny little potential that's developed. So the E naught of the cell becomes E naught cathode minus E naught anode plus the liquid junction potential. Now, before I move further into what happens when we connect a battery into the whole thing, let me just tell you this. Um, when we looked at the Daniel cell, we saw that the electrons were moving from zinc to copper. Now, what's, what does conventional physics tell us? It tells us that if electrons move in one way, then the current flow will be in the exact opposite way. So remember that. And another thing is that whatever equivalent mass of the zinc that you lose, you gain that much equivalent mass of copper. So now that we're done with that, let's figure out what happens when we connect this whole thing to an external battery. This external battery provides a potential difference to the circuit of E external, right? So our first case would be when the external potential difference is equal to the potential difference of the cell. So what happens is the whole thing gets messed up. There are no electrons flowing and there's no current flow as a result of that. Now, when the external voltage is lesser than the E naught of the cell, um, what happens is what happens is that little external battery doesn't really have too much of an effect on whatever potential difference we had earlier. So it just happens as it was before. In our case, it just goes from zinc to copper because copper pulls electrons, zinc doesn't really hold its electrons very well. And the third case is when the external potential is much greater than the potential of the cell. Now, um, when this happens, when what's happening is, um, whatever energy we had generated, electrical energy that we had generated because of these, you know, the little potential difference between the two guys and um, copper pulling it by itself and zinc giving it by itself, no need for any energy, that whole thing is messed up here because what happens is the battery starts to provide energy, right? Remember when we are talking about electrolytic cells, we had to connect it to a battery and that battery helped to push and pull electrons. So what happens is if we insert a little battery into the thing that has a voltage greater than the EMF of the cell, it starts to work as an electrolytic cell 
and the re reaction just reverses. It is no longer Zn plus Cu2 plus giving us Zn2 plus plus Cu. It goes the other way around, and we end up with Zn2 plus plus Cu giving us Zn plus Cu2 plus. Now, what are inert electrodes? They're the electrodes which don't react with an electrolytic solution, but instead they just provide um, a surface for the flow of electrons, right? So if you look for an example, an exa a great example of this would be the hydrogen electrode. So what happens is here the electrode that we're using is going to be platinum. So platinum just sits there. It doesn't react at all. All that's happening is this hydrogen is turning into H+, and then somewhere along the lines there's an H2 evolving. Platinum doesn't do anything. It's just there. Now, how do we measure electrode potential? The absolute value can't be determined. Remember when we were talking about electronegativity, we did the same thing. We can only determine the difference. So just like that, to determine the electrode potential, we use a reference electrode. And this reference electrode would be our standard hydrogen electrode. Now, how does this whole hydrogen electrode look? You have your solution, one molar HCl. Remember, H plus, and now we're putting in a hydrogen electrode. Um, and... After this, we just insert a little platinum electrode, and on top of this platinum metal, you have H2 gas being absorbed, so it just like sticks onto the surface. And yeah, we cover the whole thing, and then we push in H2 gas. Now, the standard hydrogen electrode has an electrode potential taken as zero. Now, when the standard hydrogen electrode, I'm just gonna call it HE. When HE acts as a cathode, this means that there is reduction taking place when it uh, at the hydrogen electrode. And when it acts as an anode, there is basically oxidation taking place. So how do we deal with this whole thing? Um, when your HE is acting as a cathode. Let's go for the E naught. E naught of a cell is equal to the E naught of the cat minus the E naught of the anode. And say we had that the E naught of the cell was 0 0.76. Um, 0 0.76 is equal to the E naught of SHE because this time it's acting like cathode minus the E naught of zinc. So then we understand that the E naught of zinc is minus 0 0.76. So if we get our E naught to be negative when we compare it with a standard hydrogen electrode, this means that it is negative. On the other hand, if you get an E naught value that's positive, that means that whichever thing that you're looking for is basically a cathode. I've already talked about the electrochemical series. Um, now let's talk about the relation between the standard EMF, E naught of a cell, and the standard free energy, delta G. Delta G is equal to negative NF E naught of the cell, where N is the number of electrons involved in the reaction. If we looked at the Daniel cell where we had zinc and copper, N would be equal to 2. F would be Faraday, which um, is 96500 coulombs, which is basically the current you need to remove one mole of electrons. And E naught of the cell, you know the potential difference between the two electrodes. And E naught of a cell is equal to E naught cathode minus E naught anode. Now, what is another way that we can write this? We can also say that delta G is equal to minus 
RT times log K, where K is the equilibrium constant. Now, from this, we come to an equation called the Nernst equation. Now, the Nernst equation tells us that the, that the electrode potential of the cell, remember how before I was saying E naught cell, that would be the standard electrode potential. That would be the potential difference between the two electrodes if both of them were immersed in a one molar solution of their corresponding ions. But E naught of a cell, I mean, sorry, E of a cell doesn't necessarily have to be under those standard conditions, right? Maybe I've dipped my copper in a solution that's 0.1 molars of CO2 plus or something. So in this case, that, that's basically when we use the Nernst equation, when we need to find out um, the potential difference between the electrodes when you've sort of screwed up and not exactly put them in their proper standard electrode version things. So E cell is equal to E naught of a cell minus 0.0591 divided by N times log Q where Q is the reaction quotient. Now, what is the reaction quotient? It's basically the, pro the product of the products. I don't know how to say it. Say you have a reaction, P moles of A plus Q moles of B gives you R moles of C, PQRS moles of D. Q would be C to the power Okay, I, I think that, that just fell apart in my head. So say you have A moles of A, B moles of B, turning into C moles of C and D moles of D. The reaction quotient would be the product of the products raised to the power of their stoichiometric coefficient divided by the product of the reactants raised to the power of their stoichiometric coefficient. So for this reaction, Q would be equal to the concentration of C to the power of C times the concentration of D to the power D divided by the concentration of A to the power A and the concentration of B to the power B. Now, for a single electrode, um, the Nernst equation would be, say we had oxidation going on, it would be E oxidation is equal to E naught oxidation minus 0 0.0591 divided by 2, because here in this case, when we're talking about single electrode, we're basically talking about just our zinc from the Daniel cell. I'm sorry if I didn't mention that before. 0 0.0591 divided by 2, because that's how many electrons were involved in the reaction, times log Zn2+. And same goes for reduction. You just need to figure out what the products are, what the reactants are, and then just raise them to the power of their stoichiometric coefficient. Now, what is the relation between what is the relation between the E naught of a cell, the standard potential difference between the electrodes and their standard electrode version state things, and the equilibrium constant? E naught of a cell is equal to 0.0591 divided by N times log K, where K is the equilibrium constant. And with that, I think I understood this concept as well. Hooray!